In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. About a decade ago, um, some truly incredible videos started to be made available on the internet featuring surfers at a place called Nazare in Portugal. Uh, Nazare, Nazare, I'm not sure. And if you haven't seen them, I encourage you to look it up. Nazare is home to some of the biggest waves in the world, reaching up to 30 metres high, or about 100 feet in the old money. And only this millennium did people figure out how to use jet skis to tow a surfer along, so they built up sufficient speed that they could you know, surf these monster waves and have a hope of coming out the other end alive. And only in the last decade, um, when videos could be uploaded so easily for huge audiences, did the footage become publicly available. And honestly, watching these you know, tiny figures against the backdrop of this enormous wave, it, it's crazy, and it, and it gives an adrenaline rush just watching it. It's incredibly dangerous for the surfers and is a stark reminder of our, of our powerlessness before these extraordinary forces of nature. It's a similar feeling to watching disaster movies like uh, 2012 um, or any one of them where a meteor hits the earth and there's a gigantic wave that sweeps everything before it. It stirs up a primal, deep-seated fear and awe of water in its chaotic forms. You know, one of the most nightmarish scenarios I can imagine is to be stranded in the middle of a sea or ocean in a high storm. And one of the most terrifying natural disasters, not that there is a ranking of such things, are tsunamis. And again, you can easily find footage of tsunamis these days. In many ancient religions, including the Jewish tradition, the Hebrew tradition, one of the primary symbolic associations of water was chaos. There were heaps of positive associations too, of course, but chaos was a big one. And it was common to uh, personify this chaotic, watery, stormy force as being a divine figure, a god, in opposition to a much more ordered god. So who controls the waters is absolutely entwined with who controls chaos. In Job, in the book of Job, what we heard this morning, we hear God saying, in effect, I am the one who sets limits on the waters and therefore on chaos. So just keep that symbolism in mind as we proceed, as well as a sense of the fear that you know, overpowering, uncontrollable water can cause in us. So, enter Jesus. It's evening. 
night is descending and the darkness grows. And Jesus and his disciples and others, note that there were other boats with him, set out as a little fleet across the sea. They aren't huge fishing boats. You can actually go to Israel and see you know, a 2,000-year-old boat, one of these boats which archaeologists have dug up. So even if waves got to be a couple of metres, uh, it, it'd be dangerous. It'd be dangerous. In any case, this storm is bad enough that the disciples, they're freaking out, completely freaking out. It's bad enough in the storm that very experienced fishermen like Simon and Andrew, even on familiar waters to them, they think they are in trouble and it's, it's time to panic. The best they can muster is, you know, shake Jesus awake and say, we're all going to die. Help. Well, actually, they don't say help. And this is where it gets really weird. The text indicates that with a word, the water goes from being deadly to just dead calm. He doesn't start a a long prayer that goes on so long that the storm coincidentally and gradually just dies down naturally. The, The text holds out that this is something instantaneous which in the disciples' minds, which have been formed by all those biblical symbols and stories that point to God as the one with the sort of power required to do that, it creates a conundrum. Who is this guy? Who is this we've brought into our boat? It's kind of like... um, You know, in a superhero movie when someone suddenly realises that their best buddy is actually a superhero and there's a moment where a look passes across their face as they have to rethink their entire relationship in light of this revelation. I think the disciples had a moment like that. Who is this on our boat? So on one level... Yes, I I am interpreting this event in the most straightforward way possible. This is a demonstration of who Jesus is. This is God, the second person of the Holy Trinity in the flesh. That is who we are responding to as Christians. And if enormous waves are awe-inspiring enough then being in the presence of one who can control such a thing is even more so. It is a reminder that whilst God is intimately close to us, loves us dearly, there is still a vast otherness. There is an otherness to God. Another way of interpreting this event um, is as a metaphor, and I know some people prefer to think of it as purely a metaphor, where this is about Jesus with the early church, that's the people in the boat, 
as it encountered tumultuous times and, and persecution. And this was a comforting reminder that Jesus was still with the church, even if he seemed asleep. Or individualising it further, that this is a metaphor for all those times in our own lives when we are in a storm of some kind and it's a comforting reminder that Jesus is with us through all that and can ultimately still the storms that we are in. And actually, that is fine. That is good and helpful. That's a nice way to interpret it. Because there are actually lessons to learn in that vein. And I'll explain. For some people, God is a bit like a life jacket. You know, you only turn to God in an emergency when things have gone completely off the rails. God is a life jacket. But I suggest to you that that is not sustainable. And can it, it can put us in spiritual distress if things don't turn out as we want in those times of crisis, in the emergencies. And by spiritual distress, I mean that there is a, a sharp disagreement between what we expect of God and what actually happens. For example, if I have an assumption that only good things will happen to me if I go to church every Sunday and worship God, and then something bad happens to me, that can create spiritual distress because my ideas about God and myself have you know, a misalignment. There's, there's a disagreement there. What am I paying you for every Sunday, Lord? To quote Homer Simpson. Come on, that was funny. What am I paying you for every Sunday? Come on. So a little story, um, and credits to Father Floor McCarthy for this one. There was a sea captain in Scotland who was chartered to take some young tourists uh, to the Shetland Islands. And these young folks had a laugh at the captain when they saw him praying before setting sail because it was a day of just perfect weather. So being in Scotland, perfect weather, it was probably you know, a lot like what we've got today. But when they were at sea, a storm suddenly arose and the boat was getting hammered. And these passengers were terrified. And then they went to the captain and asked him to join them in prayer. But he replied, I say my prayers when it is calm. When it's rough, I attend to my ship. I say my prayers when it's calm. If we don't find God when times are good, the chances are we will be harder pressed to truly find God when the times get tough. The storms will hit whether Jesus is right next to you in the boat or not. Remember those other boats that 
We're out there with them. So by putting ourselves in the presence of God on a regular basis, like praying by yourselves and with the community of the faithful in in this sort of context, we learn, we are trained, uh, we spiritually mature to trust God more deeply and recognise God's presence more readily in times of calm and in the stormy times. So whether the conditions be fair or rough, the Lord is the most faithful companion for life's journey there is. The Lord is the most faithful companion for life's journey that there is. The Lord be with you.